Well, howdy-do. I like to start each show a little differently if I can. Our program today originates, uh, I'm not sure where it originates from anymore because today as we are recording, it's been one of those days, one of those weeks, very interesting. Uh, But my guest is one of those guests. He's an award winner. Well, is he the award winner or are his books the award winner? How does that work? We'll find out. Michael Goddard is returning to our program. He has uh, this particular book. It's called Spiritual Revolution. It is a seeker's guide, and uh, it has 52 powerful principles for your mind and your soul. Michael, thank you so much for joining us here on Tell Me Your Story. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be back with you and everybody. You know, you also have, of course, The New Now. And then, of course, mm-hmm. there's another one that you've got out that also has a bunch of uh, little ribbons on it, award winners, uh, called In Search of Lost Lives, Desire. Uh, uh, Sanskaras. Sanskaras. San- and uh, Sanskaras, that's right. And The Evolution of a Mind and Soul. You, you're dealing a lot with the mind and the soul there, aren't you? Uh, we're going to talk about that as well <laughs> as the new now. The, the reason why we're chuckling, folks, is because um, I've had to reschedule Michael twice. And uh, my philosophy has been since I've been doing interviews that the harder the interview is to set up, the better it's going to be. So uh, I'm going to have to work really hard to make this one really good, Michael. Um, it is great to have you back. We talked about the new now the last time. I, we might have even touched upon spiritual revolution. And there are a lot of people from a lot of different uh, perspectives who want, quote unquote, a spiritual revolution. Um, depending upon what your philosophy is, they want to turn this nation into whatever it is they want to turn it into. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. There are a lot of people who live here and have different ideas. How are you going to adjust to, how are you going to, uh, you know, account for that? What are you going to do there? Because everybody's got the freedom of religion and the freedom of speech and all those freedoms. And, you know, you want it one way and they don't. Um, I find that interesting. Tell us about your spiritual revolution as uh, you uh, put this together in um, one powerful principle a week for your mind and soul. Talk to us about uh, your spiritual revolution, Michael. Yeah, thank you, Richard. But first I want to comment on what you just said. You know, everybody is trying to make things, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people Mm -hmm. are trying to make things their way. They know the right way. And it's all outside of themselves. It's political. I mean, I'm sure... Many listeners have really good friends who are just bombarding them with messages about crazy, far-out videos and ideas that bear no relation to reality. Well, the, the real revolution, the important revolution, is the revolution you can engage in and wage within yourself, in your consciousness. We're, we're Basically, we're, we're acting, most of us, as slaves of the mind, and a lot of people are ruled by their lower minds. It's the part that's completely controlled by the passions, the lower passions, the senses, part, the part of you that's the negative ego. So spiritual revolution, I've been on a path of spirituality since I've been 10 years old. And I underwent uh, initiation in my teens for meditation, but I still hadn't found my particular path. 
it's always very important to trust your inner knowing, your intuition, and continue to search no longer, even if it takes you a whole lifetime. Mm. And uh, when I was 20, actually, I found the path I'd been actively consciously searching for. And that's all detailed in my spiritual memoir, In Search of Lost Lives. So for decades, I've been studying spirituality, doing my best to embody that and live that. And so I've been mainly writing fiction, and I went on a spiritual retreat, and I hadn't written for a year because I just didn't have enough time. I had a very active tax business, actually. I helped people meet their obligations with the Internal Revenue Service, and that was a lot of fun. So I can't <laughs> It was especially fun if they got audited because I, I never lost. I ended up getting them good refunds. But anyway, I left the tax world a few years ago in case anybody needs an accountant. Um, but I came back and I'd been so depressed about not writing. And uh, I needed two and a half hours to enter the fictional world and make progress. And I just made up my mind, I don't care what I write, I'm just gonna write 15 to 20 minutes a day without fail. So I resumed my writing after about a year of absence as I felt I was wasting my life. I kind of felt that was my worldly calling. And um, within six months, I had the first draft of Spiritual Revolution. And the idea came to me that if I was gonna die in a few months, what would I want to leave people with? And I've been studying so many spiritual teachings and all these realized saints and masters. I wanted to distill their teachings into these easily understood principles. And the book uh, has won awards. Actually, an Australian metaphysical bookshop called it one of the greatest metaphysical books ever written among 10 others. So. In A New Now, my, my latest book, I write about uh, creating a spiritual foundation. So spiritual revolution is a great place to start. If one of the principles doesn't resonate with you, you can just read on, keep reading. It's, it's one of those really powerful, strong books. So yeah. go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, don't repress, uh, discriminate, and be true to yourself. Now, that's what I find interesting is you used that word, uh, discriminate, because I use the same word when it comes to choosing who you want in your life. And when I use that word, I am talking about, the, and this has nothing to do with any external affect. This has solely to do with an internal affect, and that is, does the person in your life support you. They may or may not agree with your path. They may not want to follow your path. That's okay. But they're not tearing you down. They're not trying to undo you. So at least they're sort of in a neutral sort of mode. Okay. Those are the kinds of people who you want in your life. But if they're tearing you down, they're giving you negative messages and those kinds of things. I want them out. I don't need that in my life. I don't want that in my life. And I'm not saying that I want yes people either. I, I, but I would love to have people who are concerned about my welfare externally as well as internally and are happy that I am pursuing some path. 
I mean, I, I don't know about you, Michael, but I've been on my search, as I've called it, since I was 17. And that was back in 1979, 1977, when I read Autobiography of a Yogi, my, my metaphysical primer. I'm 61. Guess what, kids? I'm still searching. But it's not out of a sense of desperation. It's now with you, Michael, for example. It's out of a sense of awe and wonder and curiosity and wanting a fuller life, wanting to learn how to thrive in this world. And and so I love that one. Also, you have uh, do repetition. And I have a feeling that has to do with like mantras, okay, or any other activity for that matter. Oh, here's one I find interesting. Uh, I'm not even going to give the numbers because folks are going to have to have to pick up their own copy of Spiritual Revolution. Struggle. Now, that seems like that's something that goes without saying. Uh, we're going to do that anyway, right? Well, well, the ongoing... <laughs> boy, that's a, a lot of great content. First, I want to go back to discrimination. Yes. I really kind of hesitated when I first uh, wanted to choose that word because... Typically, it has all these pejorative baggage, you mm -hmm. know, discrimination, racial discrimination. Yeah. But then I thought, well, if somebody was really using their powers of Vivek, which is a very important Sanskrit term for higher discrimination, they would know that they're racial discrimination. They're not discriminating truthfully, honestly, that they're really looking at another struggling soul and mind and these bodies these skin colors we have are are just coverings and mm -hmm. it's really an opportunity to transcend our differences and connect in our inner commonality yeah. so repetition is a key part of my spiritual path and of course i mean look at the greatest tennis champions for instance I mean, they don't play tennis once a month. They're every day. They're practicing for hours. Mm -hmm. The same thing with uh, a concert uh, pianist. Any any person at the top of their form. So, the word struggle and the word uh, the concept repetition go hand in hand because what we're struggling with is a very active lower mind. And what I found in my recovery of 88 past lives is that most of the lives I recovered, my lower mind was predominant. It had more power than my higher mind. So it really wasn't until uh, 12 lives ago when I was a Tibetan, I was a Tibetan, a uh, very high up government official, when I met two monks that were highly evolved. At that point, my higher mind became predominant. So, but every day I'm I'm doing. See, the repetition rises you above your downpilling thoughts, and it can be or cannot be part of your meditation. I'm not advocating any particular meditation, but it's a key part of my meditation because it focuses the mind and centers your attention. So you can withdraw your soul and mind currents. Mm. See, we're alive because we have a soul. It's what animates the body. And your soul currents, you know, go throughout your whole body. But people are so interested, a lot of people, in outer phenomena. I was just on a very well-known show this week uh, about paranormal 
activities and occurrences. Well, the most fabulous things you can witness are within you. We can do mind and soul travel if you're able to collect your consciousness and enter your, your eye center and withdraw from there. So that's where repetition comes in. But it's also um, recognizing negative thoughts crop up. You know, the mind is a never-ending thought machine. So it's also developing an awareness of where your mind is taking it and choosing to say no or cancel, whatever you want to do. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, the aspect of struggle, for example, uh, it kind of goes on daily, but this is kind of the way that I'm looking at it from the mm -hmm. standpoint of learning uh, that um, I was challenged not long ago about my mistakes, all of the mistakes that you've made, Richard, and I don't know exactly where this came from, but this is what came out. I have never made a mistake in my life. I have had learning experiences. That's all they are. They aren't mistakes. It was nothing I did wrong. I just learned that that didn't work. It's kind of like the example everybody loves to use of Edison. He found 990 ways that a light bulb didn't work. And then he found the one way that it did. And now we have LEDs. You know, and uh, the guy who invented those, they have, what, he didn't he win the Nobel Prize or something like that? I thought he did. In any event, uh, he won some kind of an award. Um, we're talking today with Michael Goddard. He is the author of The New Now, Spiritual Revolution, and his memoir, In Search of Lost Lives. I want to touch on that in just a moment as we talk with Michael Goddard on Tell Me Your Story. New paradigms for a new world is what we're bringing you here on the program. I'm your host, Richard Dugan. I hope that you will tune in to our program Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story, and that is at 9 a.m. following the news. And then you can listen live at richarddugan.com. You can also... You can also go to the podcasts. They're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon, and many other locations. And then YouTube, where you can watch these videos. You see all of the books that are behind Michael there. Uh, not just the ones he's written, but I'm sure a bunch of others that he has read that have influenced his philosophy, which we'll find out more about here shortly. And uh, then we encourage you, if you can support us financially, we would be ever so grateful. And I want to thank you, thank you thank you to those who have and those who will. Uh, congratulations to those of you who have made uh, the number of listens through the SoundCloud and analytics. 50,000 listens as of January 1, 2018 to the present. Wow, 50,000. I almost said, that's half a million. Well, it all depends upon how you do the math or who's doing the math. But 50,000, we'll take it. And thank you so much. Subscribe to the podcast as well as the video casts. And uh, like I said, um, if you'd like to support us, we have a PayPal account. It's for your security as well as ours. When you go there to send, you put in my email address, richard at richarddugan.com, and it will go to the right place. And we thank you so much for supporting Tell Me Your Story. And participate in that which Michael has already alluded to. We'll talk about that as well. 2020, the decade of perfect vision where we encourage you to, what else? Go within, spending time in that quiet, peaceful, calm space within yourself, listening to that still, small voice. We hope that you'll do that. 
Uh, Michael, let me ask you about the influences on your personal philosophy, which, by the way, one of the things that I learned years ago was that we, none of us, including my father, who has kept his personal spiritual and inner life, not a secret, but he's kept it to himself. And that's his right. Absolute right to do that. I respect him for that. I would love to have known a little more about his his spiritual walk. But, hey, you know what? Uh, maybe in the next life or in the life between lives, maybe I'll find out. But who's influenced you? Well, the greatest influences have been the what I consider realized saints and masters. Probably Rumi. People are most familiar with Rumi. Mm -hmm. uh, I would include Christ. But to really understand Christ's teachings, because I mean, the Bible is loaded with beautiful spiritual gems, but you really need a realized master to explain them. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, St. Paul said, I die daily. A lot of people just would scratch their heads. Well, that's referring to his meditation when, as I mentioned earlier, he's withdrawing his mind to the soul currents. So from the age of 11, right after my, my 11th birthday, I really confronted the fact that I was going to die. Um, I was well acquainted with death because I've been raising tropical fish since I was five years old. And every few weeks or months, I'd see a fish floating belly up and I'd have to get my net and fish it out and flush it down the toilet. So I really felt within me this powerful conviction that I could find the answer to life and death. And that really propelled me in my search. So I follow the teachings of Christ as explained by realized masters, Rumi Shams Tabriz, who was his master, uh, Kabir, a lot of people are familiar with Kabir, Guru Nanak, Swamiji of Agra has been a huge, huge influence. And I actually write about him in my spiritual memoir uh, because I had the indescribable, I can't even put words to it. It's just indescribable grace and good fortune to meet the saint in a past life when I was an English banker working during the Raj in India. So that, that was probably the signal event of my existence. So these are teachings that really clarify what is the soul, what is the mind, what is the relationship between them, what is the nature of existence, what lies within. Really, uh, a teacher can only help you go as far as they've gone. Like if you're trying to travel from Santa Barbara to let's say St. Helena in California, which isn't that far, but you're on foot and you don't have a map, you're gonna need help. Uh, if, if you've been told there's a pot of gold or a ticket for around the trip world waiting for you in St. Helena, but you have no idea where it is, you, you need assistance in getting there. So if somebody's only gone from Santa Barbara to Monterey, that's a good part of the journey, but you can only go as far as Monterey. You're gonna to have to find someone to take you further along. To make matters worse, what if it's total night and you've got to travel at night on foot? You're gonna need a flashlight. So I always encourage people not to do anything specific, but to make the use of their life 
to really focus on where they want their spiritual evolution to go. Because this is our, in a human body, this is the place where we can make the best and speediest spiritual progress. There there are, are two philosophers that uh, I was introduced to through programs that I went through in the 90s. They were Rene mm-hmm. Descartes and uh, Teilhard de Chardin. And, uh, uh, and I was introduced primarily through the zero point that was talked about. I believe it was by Chardin. Um, and, of course, then Greg Braden wrote his book about the zero point. Matter of fact, I actually have a four video, and I'm talking VHS. <laughs> A set of Greg Braden talking about the zero point. I've got to get that transferred one of these days, or maybe it's already on YouTube. I don't know. Um, But one of the most fascinating things about our spiritual life is that people don't seem to, uh, and I love for your, your, uh, your perspective on this, that most people do not seem to understand that we are immortal. And I'm not talking about the body, even though, even though every molecule of the body is nothing more than energy. Mm-hmm. And even that, the energy, it doesn't go away. It just changes or transforms into another form. Mm-hmm. So. As we continue here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, I'm Richard Dugan talking with Michael uh, uh, Goddard about uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the existence of man as an immortal being here on Tell Me Your Story. We're going to continue that conversation as we continue giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And Michael Goddard, I want to ask you once again, uh, as I did uh, just a moment ago, uh, your thoughts in regards to our immortality and what that really, really means. What does it mean not just to be immortal, but how should we be looking at our lives and, and you know, at whatever level you want to discuss it, uh, the, the strictly material or the combined material, material spiritual what have you, the little picture, the big picture, however you want to do that. Um, how should we be perceiving ourselves in that regard? Yeah, this is just really beautiful stuff to bring up, Richard. Uh, I actually have a, have a quote attributed to Talhar de Chardin, but also uh, G.I. Gurdjieff, that we are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Mm-hmm. So immortality is uh, what I was hoping to find the answer to. So basically who we are is the soul, which is a spark or a drop, whatever you want to call it, an element of the ultimate supreme being of consciousness. And to come down into the lower planes, the mental planes and the mental physical, we, we had to become associated with the mind. That's why <clears throat> on the cover of In Search of Lost Lives, in the subtitle, The Evolution of a Mind and Soul, you'll notice that there's no space between uh, mind and ampersand and soul. It's basically one word. Mm-hmm. And the publisher wanted to break it up. Uh, but I said, no, I make the point in the introduction that our mind and souls are knotted together. So ultimately, we are immortal souls. 
And so how people can look at it is that they are on a journey. They've, they've come from God and they can return to God if they wish. I mean, if you're meant to return, you're going to hear the, the pull. You won't be able to resist it. Um, but and, and God is not a good term for some people. They, it doesn't resonate with them. Mm-hmm. Like in the new now, I frequently use the word love source. That ultimate uh, state of bliss and wonder has no name. In some saints have called it a, a not, anami, which is Sanskrit for no name. And there are degrees of God. So basically, the Godhead uh, consists of, let's just say, like four areas of intensity. I, I, I can't describe it. Saints really say you have to experience it. But, I mean, I've talked to show hosts who really want to believe in the afterlife, and then they have some scientists come on who's done gone through every single experiment you can name, and they say, you can't, there is no afterlife, you can't prove it. Well, naturally, you can't prove something with physical instruments that exist beyond the physical. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're living in a very kind of dense state of being. Um, There are realms of existence that are much finer and subtler, and they exist in much higher frequencies of being. So the supreme being, nothing is wasted. I mean, you just don't die and that's the end of it. You don't come and be born and then you die, end of story. No, you go on. And where you go is very much a product of where you've been, all the actions you've committed. So the real dilemma for people is that one of the rules of creation, or if you don't like the word creation, I'll just say existence, is that the boon of the administrator of these regions is that people, for the most part, can't remember their past lives. And there's so many documented cases of young kids remembering who they were, especially if they were in the war and they were shot down up to the age of five. And then this call forms, the shell hardens around the mind, and you forget your your past life. So... Every life, so, you know, since we've been human, we've been committing actions, good actions, bad actions. Every action has a reaction. That's like a basic fundal law of mm-hmm. existence. So if, if you willingly kill 10 people, that, that is a certain amount of horror and pain you've created, not only for the person who's killed, but the, but the family members. So that has to be paid off at some point. It doesn't mean you're going to have to come back 10 times and be killed, but you're going to have to go through that uh, an amount of suffering that is equivalent. So everything is fair. There is perfect justice, fairness, but the thing is it doesn't appear that way. That's one of the interesting, I'll call it dichotomies, that exists here on Earth in the material world uh, mm-hmm. that um, I... I I've often tried to share that same thought as you've just elucidated with people, but I hesitate to do so because they are so much into their emotions over that particular event Mm -hmm. that they're, they don't want to hear that. They, they may actually want revenge, you know, that kind of thing. I was actually, I was actually uh, watching a, uh, a program 
uh, where uh, this uh, one guy who is very knowledgeable, a heck of a reader, uh, he, and he loved holding the book in his hand. And this kid, uh, he's in a very abusive household uh, with a mother who uh, is abused by the stepfather, and so is the kid. So now, bear in mind, I have not read The Count of Monte Cristo, but that was the book that the bookseller gave to the young boy. <clears throat> he says, what's it about? He says, well, read it and see. Well, he finished reading it, and he came back angrier than before. He says he had to wait, what was it, like 24 or 27 years before he got his revenge. And he, and that's what the guy was trying to get across to him. He says, it, it can take a long time, and even if you do get revenge, it doesn't change anything. Because, you know, you've already been traumatized. Yeah, this person, if you get the revenge that you want and they're no longer in the picture, all right, they're not there anymore. But now you have to deal with the aftermath of taking another human life. You know, I remember a dream and, I had. And, if I may just yes, interrupt. Yes, go ahead, maybe, go ahead. Maybe, <clears throat> maybe you earned that horrible ill treatment from a past life, and that is evening it out and count. I mean, the best thing, I read the, uh, I read the same book, The Get of Monte Cristo, when I was a kid and found it quite, quite fascinating. The, the better, the better approach would have been to work on forgiveness. Mm -hmm. He's, he's not going to forget the abuse, mm -hmm. but to work on forgiveness, to let go and to move on because you're only hurting yourself by hurting somebody else. Yeah, that's and true. forgiveness, as I write about in the new now, is one of the sources of wisdom. You are held back. I mean, even though you forgive, uh, if you keep if you keep kind of uplifting the mind and meditating, that those horrible memories it'll, it'll be like sanding down a horrible knotty plank, you know, something something that's all scarred and beaten up. You're sanding it down so the memories have less and less power over you, but you can't rise in wisdom until you forgive yeah. forgiveness is, is very important but i i also want to go back to one one of the th first things you said was dichotomy mm -hmm. we're we're living in a world of duality and that is the whole problem i mean this duality that we experience is really an illusion oneness is really also a source of wisdom basically if, if you are the supreme being with your um, omniscience, your all-knowingness, everything is one. This is just a projection of the supreme consciousness. So the supreme being, I like to say, is having this ongoing infinite play of love with itself. Mm -hmm. But the truth is we're in this reality and there are levels of reality. And if somebody tortures you, if they chop off an arm, you're going to feel it. You feel the pain. So our our goal, our our challenge is to really learn what reality is and to learn to rise above it. Not only learn how to rise, but to actually begin to rise above it to higher and higher levels of reality. Talking to my talking with Michael Goddard, author of Spiritual Revolution, The New Now, and In Search of Lost Lives, his memoir. I'm Richard Dugan, and this is Tell Me Your Story. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. I've got one for you, Michael, as we continue here on the program. Uh, in terms of uh, duality, I have think that I have finally come to a place, and again, again, I'm there now. I may not be there in 10 minutes or an hour from now, but I will remember 
remember it and try to bring myself back to this understanding that there is no duality. That what is happening here is being called, just like the, the, the Hindus use the word maya to, to talk about it. It's an illusion. Again, one of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, phrases is, um, uh, is basically uh, from Lewis Black, who says uh, in his comedic way, it's all an illusion. And that's what it is. The reality is, from my perspective and my understanding at the present moment, Michael, that it is just what it is. If you want to call it duality, and there are people who are really pushing that agenda of separation, you know, and, and right and left and up and down and Republican and Democrat and Catholic and Protestant and on the list goes, um, uh, what is it, uh, 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 lower class and higher class and all of the economic things and on and on and on. When the reality is, it just what it, it's what it is, because when you look at the cosmos, if we were to take a peek through the Hubble, Hubble telescope at all the stuff moving around and crashing into each other and all the, and things exploding, there's no judgment there. There's no judgment at all. It's just happening. And if you look at the cellular level, the subatomic level, the same thing. There's no judgment there. It's just what happens. Why would it be any different at this level where you and I are living? It's, this is just what happens. Okay, it's and it, it kind of goes to that old Chinese uh, story. I don't know if you remember uh, this particular story. You probably do uh, about uh, this farmer and his son and the neighbor. And the neighbor comes over and says, hey, how are things going? And the, and the farmer tells him, well, uh, this happened and, uh, you know, and, and my, my son uh, uh, has, has, has been training this horse. He, actually, he went out and he found this horse and, and now we have a horse that we can have to pull the, pull the plow and so forth. Well, that's good. And he says, who's to say whether it's good or bad? And the next day, is, yeah, he was out there trying to break the horse, you know, get him tamed down and, and so forth, fell off and broke his leg. Oh, that's bad. Now, who's to say to whether it's good or bad? Next day, the military comes and, and is, and is conscripting people for uh, young people for the, uh, for the war that's going on. Well, he can't go because his leg is broken. So the he tells the neighbor, you know, the neighbor says, well, that's good. So who's to say whether that's good or bad? And then after the, the kid's leg heals, he's out there and he not only finds the horse that ran off, but also a herd of other horses. Well, that's good. And of course, the story goes on and on. Good, bad, good, bad. And again, the phrase is, who's to say whether it's good or bad? When we listen to our intuition, that still small voice, it is not going to take us down a good path versus a bad path. Tell us what path, if you will, and I say this euphemistically, what path is our still small voice going to take us as an individual? Okay, when I get information from my still small voice, it is not for Michael Goddard, okay? God told me to tell Michael, no, 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 no. And same thing with Michael. He did, his didn't tell him to tell Richard, you know, anything. So talk to us about the, the metaphorical, metaphysical, euphemistic path that our, our inner voice is helping us along. Well, thank you. Thank you, Richard. Actually, I write an awful lot about that in A New Now, uh, your guide to mastering wisdom, achieving equilibrium, and empowering your nobler self. 
because uh, intuition is one of the keys of, of wisdom. And that small, quiet voice, it's really something that can be developed. I'm, I work with my intuition all day long, actually. And that is really what, what can lead you. That is the, gu- the ultimate guidance, the ultimate wisdom. And it really is what comes in the moment. So, I mean, if it weren't for my intuition, I wouldn't be alive today because uh, I've been working on my sense of knowing really since I was a teenager, but in 2012, my intestine literally died Mm. and I was unconscious for a couple of days and somehow they moved my hand and got me to sign off on exploratory surgery and they found out that my intestine had died and that more than a third of it was just dead tissue. That's what I'd been vomiting up for hours before I lost consciousness. So long ongoing story short, to avoid all obstructions, I had to really intuit, and I still do for every meal, exactly what I could eat and what I couldn't eat. Because if I ate too much, I would, I would trigger another bowel obstruction, you know, even a partial one. And so, I mean, I used to be a big bodybuilder. I lost my 40 pounds of muscle mass. So your intuition can literally save your life. I mean, uh, there have been many instances when I was about to step into danger and I just, well, just like when I I first came to um, where I live now, uh, the light changed and I was going to take off. And all of a sudden I heard stop and my foot automatically slammed on the brakes. And if I'd continue, and this car just totally ran a, a red light. Uh, and if I'd gone further, I, I would have been in a car crash. Mm. So uh, intuition is, is very key. I mean, if you're trying to find the right spiritual path or meditation for you, you may have a friend, you may have a relative telling you, this is the way, this is it. You've really got to do your own research. You've got to devote your own attention to it rather than follow it blindly and don't pick up anything unless it really resonates with you. Well, I find all of this very interesting, but I also find it interesting that we haven't mentioned uh, one book that I think people should really get a hold of, uh, having to do with 33 simple ways to awaken your spiritual self called bliss. Then these 33 simple and powerful exercises reveal and develop your spiritual core. By trying them, you will experience bliss here. Now, your initial investment Two minutes a day. That is all it takes to begin a lifetime of wonderment, awe, and love. Love you can keep forever. I hear the word bliss a lot. Uh, What is it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are all kinds of experiences of this. I mean, it runs the gamut. I mean, Ultimate bliss is is a word you can attach to the highest spiritual state. But I wrote that book. It was actually my second published book. It covers the 33 essential spiritual strengths and virtues. And it's a great book for someone who may be busy, who who doesn't want to commit to particular meditation at this time. It really also builds on your foundation of spirituality. And it's written from a place of truth. So bliss, you can experience bliss when you least expect it. But also you can learn what situations 
I talk a lot about, write a lot about your spiritual center in, in Bliss and also in New Now. And your spiritual center is the place where you are most present, grounded, positive, alive, uh, at peace with yourself. There are 10 adjectives I use to describe it. And doing these 33 simple exercises will bring you back to your spiritual center. And it's a place you can learn to return to again and again. And it's a center that can keep growing and growing. I mean, the last few years have been very challenging for people with COVID, with, with all the political crises and warring going on. It's been a very peaceful, even blissful time for me. I've uh, been lucky to be able to rely on my intuition to navigate uh, COVID. A lot of people just stayed in their in their little homes and had their groceries delivered. I personally need to be able to see and feel what my body needs. I don't want anybody shopping for me. So I literally just used my intuition to figure out step by step by step what I needed to do to feel safe and go shopping on my own. So I've been shopping on my own the whole time. And uh, I felt fine. I've, I've never got ill. So uh, intuition, we you can't work on it enough. It, it goes part and parcel as part of your spiritual journey. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan. He is Michael Goddard. And the books are... In Search of Lost Lives, Spiritual Revolution, he, uh, The New Now. <clears throat> How, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you this question when we, when we uh, continue on here. Uh, as we continue talking here on Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, I want to ask you, Michael Goddard, author of uh, 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 The <laughs> uh, Spiritual Revolution and uh, uh, In Search of Lost Lives, The, uh, the New Now. Um, and I asked this tongue in cheek, but I know you'll have a great answer for us. What was wrong with the old now? <laughs> <laughs> That's a very funny question. <laughs> uh, can I, you want me to answer this now? Give it a shot. I, you know, I mean, it's like the new now. I, I mean, now is now. And, and, and I've described it when I talk about my recording sure. software, you know. Yeah. On one side, you see the wave. That's the past. The other side, there's nothing. That's the future. And there's that line right in the middle that where there's nothing, which is the now, a great yeah. representation. Yeah. The, the Now is, is really a moment that is timeless. What's wrong with the old now? Well, you know, where has the old now gotten you? You've been basically <laughs> living in the past and the future. You haven't been present. You've been a slave to your mind, whatever it's wanted, you've gone along with it. So that's what a new now does. Yeah. Uh, I, I've had friends who've read various different, you know, books that promise you pre present mindfulness, being in the now, and they just, they're just not clear. Yeah. This is a course you can work with for the rest of your life. It really takes you by the hand, step by step. I go through all kinds of mundane, worldly situations where you have to really learn how to navigate it. So the, yeah. the, the, a new the, now is yeah. really creating, is stepping into a higher reality. Uh, it's a reality where you experience clarity, peace, present mindfulness, a whole bunch of really wonderful things. It's a richer way of being. It's being yourself. It's really finding and treading the pathway to the authentic you. Mm -hmm. You're not meant to be 
go through all kinds of mental anguish all the time, have, you know, vendettas, uh, think main thoughts, just be absorbed with all this negativity. You really have the power to rise above it and attain a level of bliss and really make progress in your spiritual journey to ultimate bliss. This is our chance. As COVID so vividly taught us, we thought we'd have these close friends and relatives for 20 more years, 30 years, maybe at least five years. They were taken. I mean, healthy people in their 30s and 40s didn't make it. Mm -hmm. If you get in a car, you don't know if you'll, how you'll leave the car. Yeah. So we're just here having a human experience. Mm -hmm. I This is our chance to really further and develop our, our spiritual beingness. I think the best way to sum it up is, what has the old now done for you lately? <laughs> <laughs> that is great. I, I love the lately attached to that. <laughs> I like it. Uh, what has the old now done for you lately? Nothing. Nothing. And, uh, and you're probably just stuck in the old past. Yeah. You, what you thought was the now. Well, you know, I have been doing some things on my own and with some other folks mm -hmm. to try to get to know myself better. Uh, Self-understanding. How important is that? And I'll put it in this context. How important is that in the new now, in the spiritual revolution, uh, and, and just in our, our ability to raise our consciousness as individuals? Well, self-understanding is all important. I mean, when you get to a very high level of what actual self-realization is, it's the experience that you are soul, which is, which is not mine. The soul and mind, as I mentioned earlier, are, are knotted together. In a new now, I ask a number of key metaphysical life changing questions, which really will further people into self-understanding. Another way of looking at it is that I, I had all these unusual, I, I had basically nothing in common with my nuclear family, but as an individual, I had all these idiosyncratic uh, desires and traits and abilities and aversions. And I used to wonder where they're from. Well, I know many people who are completely, it's really their hobby. They're consumed with interest of who their relatives were, uh, their genealogy, you know, what came through, you know, in, in their bloodlines. Well, when I recovered all those past lives that I write about in Search of Lost Lives, I found out all these unusual things like my ability to design and build homes when I was like seven, eight, nine years old, my ability to write plays when I was that age. All of these talents and interests and aversions relate to particular past lives. So self-understanding is also knowing that we're an amalgamation of who we were in our past lives. Now, unfortunately, I mean, it seems like a, a stacked deck against us. Yeah. Most people are not meant to know their past lives. But one thing, I mean, reading In Search of Lost Lives, some people have told me it's, it's triggered memories, you know, of real experiences of who they were, where they were in their, in their past. But a, a simple thing, 
is uh, deja vu. When you, you go somewhere, you know you haven't been before, but it feels utterly familiar. I write about deja vu experiences uh, south of Bombay, for instance, when I lived in Juhu Beach uh, during the Raj. Well, deja vu is sort of a window to where you lived and in, in where you were. But hmm. knowing your past lives, if most people won't ever find them out until they get to an interplay spiritually, and that's fine. But just know that who you are is very much defined where, where you've been and to focus on the present. Where do you want to go in your spiritual journey? What do you want to attain? What is the path that pulls you the most? And believe me, in the mind-body-spirit world, much of it is just really an ultimate play of the mind. You can get drunk out on all kinds of weird phenomena, uh, all kinds of charlatans. That's where intuition comes in. Don't let yourself be influenced by outer things. Do all the research you can. If you have doubt, if it doesn't resonate with you, you don't have to go along with it. Mm. So it's really, uh, think of your life as a treasure hunt. That's what I like to do. And we are here to find the chocolate Easter eggs that are all hidden in, in the tall brambles and weeds of the world. And the chocolate Easter eggs are, is really a, a state of higher being. Experiences you can go through that, as you mentioned earlier, Richard, are learning experiences. We're talking the Earth is a vast schoolroom, and, and we're here to learn. It is indeed, and believe it or not, there are no corners where you're going to be put in a dunce hat cap going to be put on you either, nor will you have to face the wall. Uh, you know, now I take that back, unless you want to. I mean, if that's what you want to do, hey, it's up to you. Michael Goddard's my guest. I'm Richard Dugan. This is Tell Me Your Story. I am your host here on the program as we talk about uh, spiritual uh, uh, spiritual stuff, revolution, spiritual revolution. We talk about past lives. I have to tell you that um, I had a fascinating experience regarding life between lives. You mm -hmm. might be familiar. You are familiar. Great. Uh, Dr. Newton and his work. Mm -hmm. I read two or three of his books. And then I had, there's a practitioner right here in Santa Barbara that took me through uh, that hypnosis session. God, it was great. I, I, I learned a lot, of course, regarding what went on after I left the last lifetime before I came into this one. But as I'm living that la that past, that last life, I'm going, I like this. I like where I'm living. I like what I'm doing. I'm a farmer and I'm doing all of this great stuff and growing plants. And I got this barn full of all great stuff. And of course, it all burns up. So I've got a cabin up in the mountain. So I go up there. And of course, that's where I... I die. That's I. You know, uh, it's like I've I've told many people. I said, yeah, <clears throat> and I don't know why this happens, but it does, uh, Michael. And this is what happens. Well, I I, I step outside the the onto the porch, and then I go sit down on a chair, and I put my feet up on the rail there, tip my hat back, and say, "It's been a good life. It's it's been a good life." Tilt my head back, and I leave. Now, why all of a sudden I break into that? twang i don't know but <laughs> maybe you were in the south did, did you know been, where you were it could have been but i i, I just really I, I don't know maybe maybe it's the feeling that i miss that but i have that a bit of that life now where i live we live in a rural part of Santa Barbara in, in mm. what's considered the Los Padres National Forest. Mm. Um, you know, we're in the county. 
we have a fairly secluded and isolated space that we live in. And um, so, you know, it's, it's really kind of nice. Uh, and we have uh, a greenhouse and we have uh, other critters that roam the property. We used to have a flock of turkeys that we would feed and we would sit out on the, on the stoop and we would toss a little food to them, bird seed and what have you, and watch them cluck away. There was even one male who loved to preen. All the other males... That when they preened, their tail feathers were a mess. You know, they had a bunch missing, but not Big Daddy. Every one of Big Daddy's feathers in his tail, when he spread them out, immaculate. You know, I'm thinking, okay, this is here's the this is the king. <laughs> but it was a great. It was really a great life. I just. Uh, and I think about that from time to time. It's very fascinating. Uh, have you had an opportunity to delve into? Well, I, that's a, a silly question because you've got a book here called "In Search of Lost Lives." Was there one in particular that um, you really connected with? And maybe there might have even been a certain sense of, "Boy, I I miss that." Well, it's not so much what comes to mind as missing any life, although, of course, I'm most fascinated by my last two lives, which were so essential to where I am. Um, my last life, I call my English secret life when my family owned an office supply and stationery company. And as I mentioned, the life before that, I was also British and I joined the Metaphysical Society and I met this great saint when I was working under the Raj. But the three lives that resonate with me the most this life are the earliest one when I was uh, in Greece uh, at, uh, in the common area. I, I, if I'm remembering correctly, I was around 300 uh, uh, AD or CE. And I was uh, that was my richest life, actually. And that's why I had the freedom to study philosophy in Corinth. And I wrote four scrolls of philosophy. So that really resonates with me. Six lives ago, I was a Carthusian monk in Slovenia. So I have a lot of monk tendencies. I've been really leading a monk's life since COVID began, but it's not that different. I mean, I was very easily at peace with it. Actually, my life is less social now than you know, I'm not seeing all these other monks around me who are <laughs> praying. <laughs> I can pray on my own. And uh, also, the, the life as a British uh, banker when I you mm. know, really wanted to write. But I actually formed the desire uh, in that life to write fiction. But in my last life, when I was a seeker, and I read book after book, searching for what I had actually found the life before, I wanted to write a book that would help other seekers. And that's what happened. As soon as I landed in England as a foreign exchange student, I was a history fellow from UC Berkeley. Weeks after I landed at the university, I started writing an avant-garde experimental novel. So I wanted to write novels. That was, that was my goal. And it kept getting put off. And all these roadblocks kept being put in my place. So going back to how we started our conversation today, when I gave up novel writing, because I just didn't have the time and I was crying two or three times a week, literal tears, because I felt I was wasting my life. I came back from India and I just decided I'm going to write a nonfiction book, 28 minutes a day. And, that's, and that was spiritual revolution. So that was actually a desire that formed into a karma and a service for my last life. 
But between lives, I did a certain amount of work on some of the books, a certain amount of preparation. Like I needed to have the mental ability to be able to, to traverse time. So when I got into the headspace of recovering my past lives, it was easier remembering what happened in a past life a thousand years ago than what happened to me when I was four years old. Hmm. So, you know, Michael Newton takes people back a lot and focuses a lot on what happens between lives. And, you know, I mean, it's all very fascinating. Uh, read it if you're pulled to read it. But, you know, don't accept it as what, I mean, don't extrapolate your own experience from it. We don't know what we're going to go through between lives. That's what makes death so scary for people. Mm. Now, for someone like my mother, who was completely exposed to all my spiritual teachings, who used to shake her finger at me and say, you think you're going to fly around after you die? Well, you're going to have a rude awakening. Well, she just lived for the moment of sensual pleasures, really. Um, but believe me, after she left, a few hours after she was taken, I tuned into her and she was completely surprised there was an afterlife. Oh, wow. It was really wild. Yeah. I mean, and I I've... went, we were traveling when she was a few weeks away from dying quickly of pancreatic cancer. And, mm. you know, she wanted to go to the best restaurants and then finally she couldn't do anything anymore. Um, but I've never met anybody more with a lust for life. I mean, she survived World War II and escaped from Austria. But, you know, never look at anybody else's life as a blueprint for your own. Mm -hmm. Discover why you're here having this particular human experience. It may simply be being a good parent and, and giving love or helping people in need, helping people uh, get a clean water system. We, we each have a spiritual purpose, which I write about um, in In Search of Lost Lives. Sometimes we know it, often we don't know it. Now, a lot of famous people have been like setting up foundations in their names because that's kind of, I think, become a status thing for a lot of important, well-known people. And they say, well, I have a calling to do this. So I, I think if I may speak to this, Richard, there's a bit of calling shaming going on it's sort of like if you don't have a calling well well you do have a calling but you haven't found it out yet so there, i i'm afraid there are some people who've been kind of hypnotized by this belief that they have to have a calling what i write about in the new now is i distinguish between having a calling and having a spiritual purpose each of us has at least one spiritual purpose for being here often you know maybe two or even three you don't necessarily have to have a calling. So, mm. but I also feel that each of us may have a genius and your genius, you don't have to be like Leonardo da Vinci or Einstein or Mahler. You can have a genius for being empathetic, for listening to people. You can have a genius for asking questions, the right question at the right time. Yeah, that's and actually, yeah, oh, go gonna, ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, that's interesting you mentioned Mahler. Uh, because, uh, and for those who don't know, Mahler is a most incredible composer. And uh, I don't know, I would hope that you have seen it being performed, if not heard it, uh, Mahler's fifth 
Symphony. And I had the great pleasure of going to our local the our local theater called the Granada, beautifully mm -hmm. uh, um, acousticized, if yeah. you will. I met the acoustician because I'm always looking for patterns and I was looking at the walls and I couldn't find a pattern. And he told me because every single tile that's on that wall is specifically designed for that position. Anyway, I went to see Mahler's fifth uh, performed by the Santa Barbara Symphony Orchestra. And when it was over, all I could think of was... I think Mahler needs some drugs because he's uh, he's got he's bipolar or something because that that piece was all over the place. And then one of the violinists told me afterwards. They said, "Oh yeah, the violinists we refer to it as the hurt locker whenever it's played because of the uh, perceived frenetic aspects of the piece." But man, what an incredible and and ingenious piece of music it is! It's just fabulous to listen to and watch as it goes up and down and all over the place. It's just spectacular. But I just thought that was interesting that you mentioned that. Well, yeah, and I, I'm actually surprised that I did. But when I was at university, the two composers I listened to almost exclusively were Mahler and Vivaldi. Oh, wow. So, but, but now it's it's Chopin, Mozart, and Debussy. And Debussy, I know, was my favorite composer in my last life. Debussy first and then Tchaikovsky. Hmm. But this life is those three. You know, it Chopin, raises, yeah. raises another question for you. you. Have you heard of the Mozart effect? I actually haven't. Well, it's supposedly a study that was done to see what effect it would have on the brainwaves of individuals. Of course, my first question is why Mozart? Why not Bach, Beethoven, Rachmaninoff, Tchaikovsky, etc., etc., etc.? Why why would Mozart be the one selected? Well, and I don't know. I have never really gotten a good answer yet. But I remember researching it, and of course the studies were done. Da 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 da. And then a few weeks later, I read another article that said that basically poo pooed the whole thing. You know that it was just a bunch of bunk. And and I'm sitting here thinking, well, no, wait a minute. When you're talking about vibration, which is what music is. And classical music in particular has a vibration to it that, uh, matter of fact, I have a friend who does not listen in his car to anything but classical music. He won't listen to the news stations or any Me other too. music stations. It's only classical music because he knows, uh, this is the way he puts it. He quotes George Carlin. It's all BS and it's bad for you. Okay. Uh, except for classical music. And and I have hundred, uh, several, I don't know, maybe dozens, dozens of classical CDs because I was a member of the classical CD club back in the uh, 80s and early 90s. And so, and I love listening to classical music. I haven't for a long time. Right now, my fix right now is country music. I don't know oh. if it's because I now own a truck, if it's that influence from the previous maybe, life. Maybe that past life that is past coming life. back and you love that twang. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and no, I, I, I love country music too, but I pretty much exclusively listen to classical music and also movie scores that I love. Typically oh, yeah. Rachel, Rachel Portman is my my favorite. But I want to talk a little bit about sound because sure, that's a very please. important topic. Mm -hmm. um, classical music is beautiful and stirring and powerful. But all of that is what I call, or what's been called, struck music. It's because there is some physical uh, effect or force taking place. Well, what we're hearing is really a, a reflection of like original music, which is unstruck. So in terms of mystical journey, uh, 
it's, it's all sound and light. And sound, the sound is different in different realms of existence. So like in my meditation, it's really a, a path of inner sound and light. So if you're able to go within, which is, which, and what I mean by that is withdraw your consciousness mm-hmm. and pierce the eye center and travel within, you're going to hear the most stirring, beautiful melodies and sound that are, are the, are bliss. I mean, you, you can't, it, nothing, nothing on earth can match it. So, and that's why when I was first initiated, I, I couldn't listen to music anymore because it sounded so coarse to me. Now, I really, I mean, I don't really take time out to listen to music. Uh, I do in the car and when I'm having dinner, I like it. I'm very much as background music. But I mean, I have a friend who can't read, won't read a sentence. Uh, whenever he comes to do work for me, he's actually one of my handymen. He promises to do an invoice, but he can't bring himself to do it. Uh, maybe he was, uh, you know, killed because he he wrote something in a past life. Oh. Oh, no, there's there's some reason for it. But he spends all his time, and he's a wonderful music connoisseur. And I've learned enormous amounts from him. But the real music is within. Yeah. The real music is spiritual and unstruck it's the original music and it changes as you go higher to more subtle and fine realms within that are more of spirit and less mental needless to say they're not physical well i can now uh consider myself amongst the i can say songwriters or composers Mm -hmm. because i have written my first song not going to oh. sing it. Not going to sing it for you here, folks. But I went through a program uh, that uh, that was sort of the outward manifestation of this particular program was to learn how to write my own song. And when I say my own song, I'm not just saying that I can put my name on it, saying written and the words and music by. I'm talking about one that speaks about who I am. And what I'm really all about. And um, it was a fascinating and very enlightening experience. I encourage everybody to go through it. I'll just share very quickly. It is called An Odyssey of Song. Uh, Emily Yurchison, who is, uh, has been on this program a number of times, she even interviewed me after I went through her program. And it's just fascinating stuff. So uh, I encourage folks to go to uh, her website, which I believe is emilysongbird.com, to find out more. But we're going to gear you towards uh, another website in just a moment as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host for this program, and Michael Goddard is my guest. And we are going to tell you just exactly where you can find uh, Michael, and I believe that is at Goddard.com, G-O-D-D-A-R-T.com, where you can find out about his books uh, that uh, he has put together, made available for you. And we hope that you'll do just that. Uh, there is, of course, Spiritual Revolution. There's also, <clears throat> he even has, of course, the book on bliss, the book called Bliss, In Search of Lost Lives. And, of course, his newest and latest is A New Now. This is your chance to step into an omnipresent reality, a new now in which you 
can readily navigate your life successfully, happily, easily. We hope you'll do that. It is, of course, also the winner of the Living Now Book Award as well as the Independent Publisher Book Award. And uh, your your book, of course, In Search of Lost Lives, has four awards. Uh, pretty uh, congratulations on that. And I know you don't write these to win awards, uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is, even Spiritual Revolution uh, has won an award. So congratulations! And your first book was a semifinalist uh, winner of the Spirituality Self Help Books of the Hollywood Spiritual Film and Entertainment Festival. Congratulations, Michael. Uh, by the way, I thank you so much for giving us so much time here on the program. We are going to ask you three final questions, as we always do to our guests, even returning ones, because sometimes the answers change, Michael. But thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Richard. It's been a real delight, as always. I want to remind our listeners that this program is here Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., Wednesday mornings at 9 a.m., and we stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We are also on uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, many other websites, uh, many other platforms. We're also on YouTube where you can watch the videos of these programs at the uh, Tell Me Your Story channel. We hope that you will go there and check us out. And uh, if you can support the work we are doing financially, we would gratefully appreciate that. And again, my thanks to those who have helped and those who will help. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I mean that sincerely. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. And all you have to do when you send uh, your contribution, just make sure you put in the email address richard at richarddugan.com and it'll come to the right place. And also participate in the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Go within, spend that quiet, peaceful, quiet time listening to that still small voice. And now to our three final questions. I kind of feel like I'm doing a game show nowadays when I go there. Okay, and question number one behind door number one. (laughs) (laughs) All right, who is Michael Goddard? Well, Michael Goddard is a name attached to or identifying this mind and soul entity that has incarnated on Earth, uh, born in Chicago, Illinois, and who's on a soul journey of soul evolution. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? Well, in a, in a worldly sense, which is also actually a spiritual sense, I hope to empower people to take responsibility for their spirituality and their spiritual journey and to make best use of their life, to advance further in their realization of, of the ultimate bliss that they can achieve. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Well, my life's purpose is to complete my incarnating in physical worlds and to liberate Mm. my soul from my mind and to achieve reunion with the ultimate being, which people tend to call God in our country. Now, that is a much different answer than I've ever gotten from anyone uh, life's purpose. And of course, when you're saying, uh, speaking to life, you're talking about the eternal immortal. life. Yeah, the immortal. You got it. Yeah. Immortality. Exactly. You got it. Michael, Why thank not, you. 
Why not go for the, the ultimate? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Michael, once again, thank you. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast. Love to lull.